Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Vanguard. Welcome on this cold, snowy Colorado day. It is good to have you in the house today. You know, as 2022 came to a conclusion, I, like I do each year, I began to take inventory of that year. And what I discovered was my heart had grown calloused to the things of God in my own life. I don't know if you can relate to this, but God gave me a mental image of a couple in a room together that had been married for a long time, and they're in proximity to one another, but their hearts were a million miles away from each other. And I felt like the Lord said, Kelly, in certain areas of your life and in your heart, that's where I see you. I see us close in proximity, but I see your heart very far from me, callous to certain things that I have asked you to go through. And so on the first day of this year, I said to the Lord, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for growing callous to the things of you. I'm sorry for allowing certain things to get in between you and I. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you will relate to Israel today because they were in proximity to God, but their hearts were far away from God. Every one of us, if we're honest, find ourselves in these moments sometimes. (coughs) Excuse me. And every one of us have to step back and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now, you might look at my hoodie today and think to yourself, hmm, why is he wearing that? Is it because of the Kentucky-Kansas game last night that my team lost? No. Four weeks ago when I wrote this message, I felt like the Lord wanted me to wear this hoodie. I've never worn Kentucky gear when I preach. If you've gone to Vanguard for any length of time, think about that. I've never worn, I talk about Kentucky a lot, but I've never worn Kentucky gear and I'm wearing it today because there's something in the passage that is going, excuse me, that's going to come out of this that's going to be applicable uh, to this particular hoodie. And so today, I want to invite you to take your program, your Bible, or your internet device, and we're going to ask the question in Ezekiel 8, 9, 10, and 11, uh, how do I regain a tender, responsive heart for God? And I want to invite you to share the service. I want to invite you to be a virtual evangelist. We do have lots of people online today uh, that some that can't make it because of the weather. And so we want to welcome you and thank you for being a part of the service today. Look at Ezekiel 8.1. On September 17th, so we're reading from the New Living Translation. During the sixth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, while the leaders of Judah were in my home, this is Ezekiel talking, the sovereign Lord took hold of me. I like that. We'll come back to that. I saw a figure that appeared to be a man from what appeared to be waist down. He's describing Jesus, by the way. He looked like a burning flame. And from the waist up, He looked like gleaming amber. He reached out what seemed to be a hand and took me by the hair, and the Spirit lifted me up into the sky and transported me to Jerusalem in a vision from God. I was taken to the north gate of, excuse me, of the inner courtyard of the temple where there is a large idol that has made the Lord very jealous. 
And suddenly the glory of God of Israel was there, just as I had seen before in the valley. I want to stop there. I love the phrase, the sovereign Lord took hold of me. There are going to be moments in your life when God is going to get your attention to let you know that you are not in control. You're not in control of your life. You're not in control of anybody else's life. You're not the judge of the world. You're not the creator of the world. And you're not the savior of the world. He is. Joshua, would you do me a favor? Would you bring me my cup? I cannot... Uh, I can't seem to swallow whatever it is in my throat. Thank you, brother. I greatly appreciate it. Sorry, give me just a second. Let's see. There there we go. All right. We're talking about idols today, right? Maybe you can figure out what mine are. All right, how's that? As you look at this passage... In 2 and 3, he describes Jesus. And then in verse 4, a large idol has made the Lord very jealous. Suddenly, the glory of God of Israel was there, just as I'd seen before in the valley. So he's taking us back to that vision that he had in Ezekiel 1. And he's describing that to us after he describes to us that he meets Jesus face to face. Now, I want to challenge you to ask God this question today. God, what in my life makes you jealous? What in my life makes you jealous? Because whatever it is, I want to give to you. So how do I regain a tender, responsive heart to God. Number one, ask God to reveal hidden idols in your life. Ask God to reveal hidden idols in your life. Now, on the day that I wrote this message four weeks ago, my devotions were Psalm 21 to 30, and I want to read you Psalm 24 in the message, verses 3 and 4. The psalmist says this, who can climb Mount God? Who can scale the holy north face? Only the clean-handed, only the pure-hearted men who won't cheat and women who won't seduce. That's tough, isn't it? Look at Ezekiel verse 5. The Lord said to me, son of man, look toward the the earth. Look toward the north. So I looked, and there to the north, beside the entrance to the gate, key phrase, near the altar, stood the idol that had made the Lord so jealous. Did you catch that? Look at that phrase, near the altar. We followers of Jesus know when we sin. And we try to figure out, at least I do, maybe you can't relate, we try to figure out a way to walk in sacred worship with God and we tend to put our sin real close to the altar, just not on the altar. We know what our pet sins are. We know the sins that do so easily beset us. We know the things that get us distracted, distraught, and consumed by something other than the presence of God. And the people in Ezekiel's day were no different. They loved certain things more than God, and God is addressing their love for those things more than him. Look at this statement in your program. Where in your life are you tempted to present yourself publicly as one person, but privately you choose to be someone else? Think about that for a moment. Because all of us 
struggle with this. I struggle with this. You struggle with this. If you're watching online, you struggle with this. Where in your life are you tempted to present yourself publicly as one person, but privately you choose to be someone else? You and I have to stop lying to ourselves before we'll stop lying to everybody else. Does that make sense? So you have to ask yourself, what lies have I told myself until finally I actually believe them as true? Now, God's going to dig into the hidden doorway of Israel's way of life. Look at verse 6. Son of man, he said, do you see what they're doing? Do you see the detestable sins the people of Israel, the people of God, are committing to drive me from my temple? But come, and you will see even more detestable sins than these. Then he brought me to the door of the temple courtyard where I could see a hole in the wall. And he said to me, Now, son of man, dig into the wall. And so I dug into the wall. And what did I find? I found a hidden doorway. So we ask God to reveal hidden idols in our hearts. Do you know how hidden idols get in our hearts? Through hidden doorways. And do you know how we get to hidden doorways? through hidden hallways. Does that make sense? And so the question is, what are your gateway sins? Do you know what they are? Lust, unforgiveness, bitterness. What is it, greed? What is it in your life that triggers you down your hidden hallway to your hidden doorway? To your hidden idol. One thing that I love about getting older, and there are some things about good about getting older. You say, well, what are they? Well, when I hit a three-pointer and I say to the guy, what age are you? And he says, 35. And back down the court, I go, I'm 52. That's something good about getting older. You go, is there anything else? <laughs> Another thing that's good is when I was younger, boy, I could handle a lot. But when I got discouraged, it took me a long time to get undiscouraged. But as I get older, I get discouraged really easy. You go, that's good? Well, that's not the good part. But I do get discouraged a lot quicker older than I did younger. But here's the other thing that's great about getting older. I don't stay there very long. I don't stay discouraged very long. And that's something that's beautiful about aging. Another thing that's beautiful is that as I age, I go, oh, here I go again. Here goes my sinful desires again. Here goes me down that hidden hallway to that hidden doorway to that hidden idol. And as I age, I can see myself going there before I go there. You say, do you always come back? No, but I know I'm going there. And that's something that's beautiful about growing older with God is that you begin to mature and maybe when you're younger and, and, and maybe there's things in your heart when you're younger that are hidden. And the reality is there are hidden things in your heart and usually for two reasons. One, because you don't know they're there. And two, because you put them there. And there are some things in your life that God's going to speak to you about today. You go, oh, I didn't know that was in my heart. Great. Do something about it. But there's going to be other things that God's going to talk to you about, and you're going to go, oh, well, yeah, that's been in my heart for some time. And I've decided that I'm just going to live with it. I'm just going to live with it. So look at verse 9. God speaks to Ezekiel. I want you to go in and see the wicked and detestable sins that they're committing in, in there. So I went in and I saw the walls covered with engravings of all kinds of crawling animals, detestable creatures. 
I also saw the various idols worshipped by the people of Israel, by the people of God. Seventy leaders of Israel were standing there with Jazaniah, son of Shaphan, in the center. Each of them held an incense burner from which a cloud of incense rose above their heads. And the Lord said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the leaders of Israel are doing with their idols in dark rooms? This would be like elders and pastors now. They are saying the Lord doesn't see us. He's deserted our land. The Lord added, come, and I'm going to show you even more detestable sins that these leaders have done. He brought me to the north gate of the Lord's temple and some women, uh uh-oh, he specifically refers to the females here. They were sitting there and they were weeping in God's house, the temple. But they were weeping for the God of Tammuz. And I thought to myself, who, who in the world is that guy? Have you seen this, he asked. And I will show you even more detestable sins than these. So I said to myself in my office a few weeks ago when I was writing this sermon, well, who in the world is the God of Tammuz? Because I have no idea who this is. So I looked it up. The God of Tammuz is the God of fertility embodying the powers for new life in nature in the spring. And this God emphasizes the flawless nature of young or youth beauty. Now, we don't live in a culture that worships youth. I know that. No. So we don't relate to this. But in their day, the women were worshiping Youth, beauty, more than God Almighty. Paul says in the New Testament, don't make what you look like the most important thing about your life, ladies. Make it about your character. Proverbs says the same thing. Now, he's not just going to pick on the women, okay? So stay with me. But it's very interesting. So now I go back to my question. What idol have you set up right next to the altar of God that needs to go on the altar of God? Instead of next to the altar of God, what is it that you're tempted to worship that makes you feel bad about you that you want that maybe you don't have or somebody has more of? What is it in your life that God is trying to say to you in this moment. Now look at verse 16. Then he brought me into the inner courtyard of the Lord's temple at the entrance to the sanctuary between the entry room and the bronze altar. And there were about 25 men, males, and their backs to the sanctuary of the Lord. And they were facing east, bowing low to the ground, should face east, Worshiping the sun. Huh. Now that's interesting. What's going on here? Well, they were doing things that the Bible says not to do. Let's look at Deuteronomy 4.19. This is thousands of years before when God brought Israel Out of Egypt, he told Moses, tell my people, don't worship the sun, the moon, and the stars like the people of Egypt did. I want you to be different. I want you to worship me for creating those things, but I don't want you to worship them as your creator. Look at Deuteronomy 4.19. And when you look up into the sky and you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worshiping them. So what were the men doing? The men were worshiping images, created images that made them feel powerful. They wanted to feel powerful. 
They wanted to feel a power in them, and so they had an idol of power, and specifically the son. And even though they knew God said, don't do this, they did it anyway. All of us have things that butt up against the sincerity of our worship to Jesus. Have you seen this son of man? He's talking to Ezekiel again. He asked, is it nothing to the people of Judah that they commit these detestable sins, leading the whole nation into violence, thumbing their noses at me and provoking my anger? Therefore, I will respond in fury. I will neither pity nor spare them, though they cry for mercy. I'll not listen. Why isn't God being merciful? Because the people are asking for mercy without repentance. They want God to give them his mercy, but they're not going to pay any attention to his laws and to his requirements of what he's asked of them. Now, this is interesting. We live in a society today, and we're going to see this play out in the passage, and we're seeing it playing out in our society right now. There were these 25 men, and they were worshiping the sun. And Deuteronomy 4.19 says, don't do that. And we live in a society today where uh, people like Pastor Andy Stanley of North Point Church in Atlanta, who's a very well-known pastor, influences thousands of pastors, graduate of the seminary I went to, Dallas Theological Seminary, Southern Baptist pastor, the denomination that this church is a part of. And he came out recently and he said, hey, I know what Romans 1 says. I know what 1 Corinthians 6 says. And then he blows past that to basically say, it's okay to live however you want sexually. And then on the Christian Post this morning, I write for them. On the Christian Post, you can read on the front cover, it says that there's another denomination that has decided and declared that sexual immorality is not sinful. It's not sinful. And so what is happening in God's house and among God's people is that we've decided in the name of making sure that everybody likes us, We've decided to go and say, let's ignore Deuteronomy 14, let's ignore this, let's ignore that. And you know as well as I do how Vanguard started. Vanguard started with a lesbian couple. Did you know that? And that lesbian couple came to me and they said, hey, we want to be a part of this church. And I said, great, be a part of this church. And at some point, uh, one of those two individuals said to me, what do you think about my lesbianism? And I said back to them, doesn't matter what I think. I didn't create you. I didn't die for you. I won't be your judge one day. So it doesn't matter what I think. And she said, doesn't matter what you think. I said, I guess not. I thought all I thought is all that mattered, right? But I discovered that only what God thinks is all that matters. And God said, pray that she'll ask me what she, what I think. So I prayed that. And she asked me about two months later, and I gave her Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6. I said, read that, pray about it. You come back and tell me. She came back and said, well, it says it's a sin. I said, really? She's like, that's what it says. Okay. See, I'm not here to be your judge, jury. I didn't create you. I didn't die for you. But I'm also not here to change what the Bible says so you can live any way you want to. I can't do that for you. And one thing that the elders asked me above everything else this year, they said, make sure you do not compromise God's word, that you preach the word of God to our church, to our people. And that's what we're doing. And and it's so funny when I go, well, what are we going to go through? We're going to go through the book of Ezekiel. And everybody's like, that ought to be great. That's going to be exciting. Look at verse 17. I'm sorry, Ezekiel 9.1. The Lord thundered, bring on the men appointed to punish the city. Tell them to bring their weapons with them. Six men soon appeared from the upper gate that faces north, each carrying a deadly weapon in his hand. With them was a man dressed in linen who carried a rider's case at his side. And they all went into the temple courtyard and they stood beside the bronze altar. So who are these six and this one? Well, the one is, is Jesus. But who are the six? The six are the executioners that God has commissioned 
to judge his people because they refuse to listen to him. So look at verse 3. Then the glory of the God of Israel rose up from between the cherubim where it had rested and moved to the entrance of the temple. And the Lord called to the man dressed in linen who was carrying the writer's case. This is Jesus. He said to him, walk through the streets of Jerusalem. Put a mark on the foreheads of all who weep and sigh because of the detestable sins being committed in their city. So here's what we know about God. Before God judges his people, he tests those in the furnace of affliction to address sin in your life before he has to address the unrepentant sin in his people's lives who refuse to repent. And so God is in the process, and maybe you hate the season you're in right now. You hate the suffering. You hate the furnace of affliction. You hate what you're going through right now. But what you may not realize is, is that God is preparing you to receive his mark so that when you go out in the world, the world will look at you and say, you're different. You're different. And when someone says, why are you different? You don't say, because I'm better than you. Because you're not, by the way. You say, I'm different because this is who God has asked me to be. Everything about your life should be driving people back to him. Not back to you and your opinion of them, but back to him. And let him speak to them. And my experience is that believers that don't want to hear what God has to say, they certainly don't want to hear what you have to say. And unbelievers are the same. And so our job in life, we are the vehicle, the vessel to get people back, basically to say to God, what do you want to say to me, God? And sometimes people say that God says some of the craziest things in the world. And I go, you really believe God has said that? Yes, okay. Well, then that's between you and God, and God will have to address that in your life. So how do we regain a tender heart? Number two, we weep over detestable sins. And the key here, the action is weeping. We weep over detestable sins. We don't ignore them. We don't excuse them. And we don't hide them. You say, what do we do? We weep over them. We weep over them. We weep over the brokenness of our world. Verse 5. I heard the Lord say to the other men, follow him through the city. Kill everyone whose forehead is not marked. Show no mercy, have no pity. Kill them all, old and young, girls and women, little children. But do not touch anyone with the mark. Begin right here at the temple. So they began by killing the 70 leaders. Oh, my soul. This is brutal. You say, what's going on here? When God brings judgment, he brings it on his leaders first. And so over the past few years, we've seen a lot of leaders be brought into judgment by God. And what we're seeing on a national, global level is going to occur in every church, in every way, in every heart of every person that claims the name of Jesus. You can't say you're gods and live godless. It doesn't work that way. If you're gods, he wants you to live in such a way. And he's going to tell you how to live, not because you're less than this or more than that. It's not, you know, he makes up the rules. He's God. God's bringing excessive judgment on the leaders right now. And we're seeing that play out in numerous, numerous ways. If you don't believe me, just Google pastor, sex abuse, pastor, moral failure, pastor. Put in whatever you want to put in. There'll be more articles than you have time to read. While they were out killing, I was all alone, Ezekiel said. I fell face down on the ground. I cried out. See, we're not happy about these things. Oh, sovereign Lord, will your fury against Jerusalem wipe out everyone left in Israel? The man in linen clothing who carried the writer's case reported back and said, I've done as you commanded. So how do we have a tender, responsive heart to God? Number three, we cry out to God for mercy. 
When God brings judgment, God doesn't open a can of judgment for the sake of destroying. God opens a can of judgment for the sake of opening a can of mercy. And so if God has opened judgment in your life, ask him, say, Lord, I receive your judgment. Forgive me for my sins. I ask you, Lord, now, would you open a can of mercy on me? And guess what? He will. And he does. Look at Ezekiel 10.1. In my vision, I saw what appeared to be a throne of, somebody say it, blue Lapis lazuli. Okay, this is why I'm wearing this hoodie today. I argued with God this morning. I was like, Lord, I'm just going to wear my Vanguard hoodie, okay? Either one matches my new shoes, all right, so I'm good, all right? My, my retro throwback Larry Bird shoes, all right? I'm good, all right? And the Lord's like, no, I want you to wear that, and I want you to make this point. It's like, okay, duly noted. Blue lapis lazuli above the crystal surface over the heads of the cherubim and the angels. The Lord spoke to the man in linen clothing and said, Go between the whirling wheels beneath the cherubim, take a handful of burning coals, scatter them over the city. And he did this as I watched. Did you know that blue lapis lazuli is Kentucky blue? Okay. Now, I'm not saying that Kentucky, excuse me, that God is a Kentucky fan, all right? But neither is he a Kansas fan. And he certainly is not a Duke fan, all right? There's no chance of it, all right? The devil probably is, that's right. But I want you to think about this. God gave the nation of Israel a color so that when they saw that color, they will remember the cleansing hand of God. And what I think is cool about God is that God picks physical things in your life to bring you to spiritual truths. And so don't think you're crazy when God uses something in your life to speak a spiritual truth to you through a physical means. And so every time they saw this color, they thought, God wants to cleanse my life. So how about you? How about you? What does God use in your life to get your attention to say, hey, you're headed down the hidden hallway. You're headed to the hidden doorway. You're headed to your hidden idols. Come back. Come back. Come back. You don't have to go that way. How do we regain tender hearts? Number four, you ask God to cleanse you. You ask God to cleanse you. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. On January 1st, when I stood here and I prayed that prayer, it broke me because God showed me my sin. And see, it's really easy for me to see everybody else's sin, John. But for some reason, I get real good at not seeing my own. Amen? And in that moment, I saw mine. And I saw my distance between God and I. And I saw myself as that couple that had been married a long time that were still committed to each other in the same room, in proximity to one another, but heart cold and indifferent. Look at verse 3. The cherubim were standing at the south end of the temple where the man went in and the cloud of glory filled the inner courtyard and the glory of the Lord rose up from above the cherubim and went over to the entrance of the temple. The temple was filled with this cloud of glory and the courtyard glowed brightly with the glory of the Lord and the moving wings of the cherubim sounded like the voice of God Almighty and could be heard even in the outer courtyard. The Lord said to the man in linen clothing, go between the cherubim, take some burning coals from between the wheels. So the man went in, stood beside one of the wheels. One of the cherubim reached out his hand and took some live coals from the fire burning among them. And he put the coals in the hands of the man in the linen clothing. And the man took them and went out. 
And the cherubim had what looked like human hands under their wings. And the cherubim rose upward. These were the same living beings I had seen beside the Kabar River, going back to Ezekiel 1 again. So God called these cherubim to be part of God's cleansing. Now look at Ezekiel 11. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the east gateway of the Lord's temple where I saw 25 prominent, key, prominent men of the city. And among them there were Jazaniah, son of Azur, Pelatiah, son of Benaiah, who were leaders among the people. How would you like to be called out by God through his prophet and recorded in the Bible for thousands of years for everybody to know your business? It would not be fun. The Spirit said to me, Son of man, these men, Jazaniah and Pelatiah and 23 others, they're planning evil. These are God's people, by the way. This is God talking to God's prophets, saying about God's people, these prominent leaders who are supposed to represent God in his church, his temple at that time. They're planning evil and they're giving wicked counsel in this city. Well, what are they doing? Here's what they're doing. They're saying to the people, is it not a good time to build houses? What? Why is that a big deal? Stay with me. This city's like an iron pot. We're safe inside it like a meat in a pot. Therefore, son of man, prophesy against them loudly and clearly. These were prominent people of God standing against, you ready? The word of God. So Pastor Andy Stanley, the son of Charles Stanley, who, by the way, he's the one that God used to finally seal the deal that I would be a pastor. Because I was wrestling with it as a 17-year-old, and I turned on the TV, and Dr. Charles Stanley uh, was preaching, and he said, he's in Atlanta as well, and he said, if you can do anything else and not be a pastor and be happy, do that. And I was like, I don't think I can. I don't think I can. And right then, I felt like the Lord said, then be a pastor. Then be a pastor. And so I want you to understand how it breaks my heart to see how God used Dr. Charles Stanley and to watch Dr. Andy Stanley, who knows the Bible. He knows Hebrew. He knows Greek. He learned the same stuff I learned at Dallas Theological Seminary. And he says, you see Romans 1, you see 1 Corinthians 6. Now let's move on with what I want to say. And see, what happens is prominent people, and I see this happen over and over again, people rise up in the evangelical community and get thousands of people to follow them. And then the enemy chides them, and they decide to walk away from the evangelical conservative truth of the Bible and then begin to lead people their direction as prominent people of influence. And let me tell you something, when you do that, you are putting yourself right in the place of God Almighty, and he does not share his glory. He does not. And so these prominent men, so let's watch what happens here. Uh, Jeremiah 29.4, remember, Ezekiel is bookend, Jeremiah on the front end, Daniel on the back end. So let's remember from the first message what God said before Ezekiel came on the scene. Jeremiah 29.4, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says to all the captives, he's exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Here's what you're supposed to do. Build homes and plan to stay in exile. Plant gardens, eat the food they produce, marry, have children, find spouses for them so they may have grandchildren. Multiply, don't dwindle away. Work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. So what happened was there's a power struggle that happens in Jerusalem. And Ezekiel's saying, hey, we need to go on to Babylon. God's gonna bless us. And these prominent leaders are like, no, stay here. Listen to us. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Principle number five, how do we regain tender hearts to God? Be actively growing in God's word. I wish I could tell you, Google well-known pastors 
and listen to what they have to say and do what they tell you to do. But I have to add a caveat. And before you do what they tell you to do, make sure it's in the Bible. Make sure it is what God's word says, not what they're saying. Make sure that you're not applying their principles to live a life that God does not approve of. Verse 5, the Spirit of the Lord came upon me. And he told me to say, this is what the Lord says to the people of Israel. I know what you're saying. For I know every thought that comes into your minds. Oh, my soul. Talk about being laid bare. You've murdered many in this city and filled its streets with the dead. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. This city is an iron pot, all right. But the pieces of meat are the victims of your injustice. And as for you, I will soon drag you from this pot. I will bring on you the sword of war you so greatly fear, says the sovereign Lord. And I will drive you out of Jerusalem and hand you over to foreigners who will carry out my judgments against you. You'll be slaughtered all the way to the borders of Israel. And I will execute judgment on you and you will know that I am the Lord. No, this city will not be an iron pot for you and it will not be like meat safe inside. I will judge you even to the borders of Israel and you will know that I am the Lord. For you have refused to obey my decrees and regulations. Instead, you've copied the standards of the nations around you. Stop there just a second. You'll probably want to unfriend me on social media after this story, okay? So this morning, I got up at 4.30 and I, I was reading the Bible and then I went on to, um, and I was just scrolling and I saw someone that, that used to attend Vanguard that I think you may be watching right now. And good dude, love him. But he had a picture of a stripper pole in his basement, and it was either his brother or his father, I can't remember which, hanging on it, and it was a joke. And I was like, well, do I defriend him? Do I call him out right there on social media? I was like, I don't know what to do, but here's what I want you to understand. In the Old Testament, the most detestable thing to God was an Asherah pole. Do you know what an Asherah pole is? It's the modern-day stripper pole. It's the modern-day stripper pole. And isn't it interesting that not much has changed? Oh, we're so advanced in our society. Now, you can do the study for yourself. It, it became the very thing. It was the very, most difficult thing for the king to get dislodged from a society. It was a stripper pole where women and men hang upside down and twirl around for sexual favors and treats and pleasures for people, okay? And they worshiped that, and we worship that. And we've sexualized our society until we have nothing left. We have nothing left. There's nothing left. And now... All there is is devastation and destruction. And if you keep going with the society, you'll go down the drain. Come back. Come back. Come back. Listen to me. No one deserves to be mistreated. No one deserves to be mistreated or abused. And sadly, there are so many people that no longer have anything to do with the house of God because people in my role abused them, took advantage of them, and then used the church's money to hide it. And God said, I know where the hidden idols are. I know where the hidden hallways are. I know where the hidden doorways are. And I'm coming. I'm coming for the prominent men who refuse to take a stand for the truth of God's word. That's what this text says. And this is applicable today. And look at what it says in verse 13. While I was still prophesying, Pelatiah suddenly died. This ain't a game. God said to Ezekiel, this is going to happen. And suddenly it did. Then I fell face down on the ground. I cried out to sovereign Lord, are you going to kill everyone? See, don't be excited about that. 
Ask God for mercy. Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, the people still left in Jerusalem are talking about you and your relatives and all the people of Israel who are in exile. They're saying those people are far away from the Lord. So now he has given their land to us. Therefore, tell the exiles. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Although I've scattered you in the countries of the world, I'll be a sanctuary to you during your time in exile. I, the sovereign Lord, will gather you back from the nations where you've been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel once, somebody say it, again. Do you know when the last time was he fulfilled this promise? World War II. He brought Israel back together and made them a nation again, and people came back from all nations back to Israel. Principle number six, how do we... Have a responsive, tender heart. Receive God's new blessing for you. Receive God's new blessing for you. It does not matter how much you've sinned in your past. If you've repented, God has a new blessing for you. He has a new life for you. Do you know what's amazing, Marty, about God? If you live a life of faith, this is the most amazing thing about it. Your legacy is not in your past, it's in your future. That's the difference between a faithless life and a faithful life. If you live a faithful life for Jesus, your legacy is not in your past, it's in your future because you have invested it in the generations that are coming. And I don't care, moms and dads, listen to me, I don't care how difficult the the raising of your children has been, there's grandkids on the way. And I don't care how they get here, they're God's creation. Amen? Amen? And we're here to invest in the generations to come. We're not here to look in the rearview mirror to see what we've accomplished. We're looking through the front window saying, our greatest accomplishments lie ahead of us in the generations that will live long after we've left this place. Verse 18, when the people return to their homeland, they will remove every trace of their vile images and detestable idols. I'm going to give them singleness of heart. I'm going to put a new spirit within them. I will take away their stony, stubborn heart, and I will give them what? Somebody say it. A tender, responsive heart. Do you know how you get a tender, responsive heart? You do everything that we talked about today. You go, then how do I get the tender, responsive heart? You ready? God will give it to you. Because a tender, responsive heart is evidence of the presence of God in your life. If you do what God tells you to do, the result is, men, you ready? You'll stop lifting up hands to fight and you'll start lifting up hands to worship. You'll start remembering the times you weep instead of the times you make others weep. That's how you'll change, is that you'll start to take pride in the tears that you shed for your God and the people he's made you responsible for. Amen? They'll truly be my people. I'll be their God. But as for those who long for vile images and detestable idols, I'll repay them fully for their sins. I, the sovereign Lord have spoken. And when he speaks, whether we listen or not, it will happen. It will happen. And so on January the 1st, you know, I don't like to cry. Certainly not in public. I like, you know, I don't mind it if I'm by myself and feel like I've got some privacy and can control it. But you know, sometimes I'm, I'm, I don't get to control it. And like right here on January the 1st, when we took communion together, I wept like a baby because I saw the effects of my sin on God. And I received the heart that he had for me. And I received the freedom. And see, I walk in a greater freedom in 2023 because of that moment I had January the 1st right there on that spot. We all have sins, idols that are close to the altar. We need to get them on the altar and give them to the Lord and say to the Lord, these are yours.
I'm sorry. Show me mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I think about, I thought a lot about this this year. I think about how the disciples gave three and a half years of their life to this dude that came by them and said, hey, follow me. Oh, great. I'll leave my family. I'll leave my occupation as a fisherman. I'll, I'll leave my this, that. I'll, yeah, yeah, we'll follow you. Wow, isn't that amazing? You did all these miracles. And they decided, Jesus, that you were going to win it all. You were their pick to win it all. And then came the cross and the crucifixion and your death and your grave. And then came the confusion, the frustration. So what do you do now? What do we do now? I don't know. What are you going to do? I don't know. What are you going to do? Well, we can go back to fishing. Yeah, but what do we do with the last three and a half years of our life? I don't know. Must have been a waste. So they go fishing. Out there on the lake. It's dark. Hey, you caught anything? No, I caught anything. Threw your net on the other side. Threw it on the other side. So many fish, the net started to break. They look at each other. He's back. It's him. It's him. It's him. It's Jesus. Everything he said was true. Everything he promised is going to happen. Where'd Peter go? He's already at the beach. Jesus made him breakfast. And they turned this world upside down. Make us like that, Jesus, with tender, responsive hearts as we work through the confusion of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.